So what do you think hap- would happen if you got on a plane and went back to visit your old boyfriends, huh? Well, I did it. I did it. And I'm going to tell you what happened after this word from our sponsor. <clears throat> Darling, are you hungry? Are you a little peckish? Well, I have the very snack for you. The delicious Amy Coney Barrett Baby Bites. These tasty little morsels are lower in calories than the popular Charlton Heston Soy and Green snacks and are higher in protein than the much-beloved Irish Infant on a Stick sold by Jonathan Swift. Your favorite Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett has thought of everything. She's not only created the infant supply chain, this woman, this brilliant woman, this justice, the Supreme Court justice has taken those infants, fattened them up, put them through a meat grinder, added some butter, some cinnamon, and a glaze of honey, and she's got herself the number one snack of the GOP, the Amy Coney Barrett Baby Bites. Are you in the mood for a little nosh? Call her on the phone. Call her on the phone. When you're all alone, darling, ask Eugene. Ask Eugene. Ask Eugene. Good old Auntie E will fix your shit. Well, I'm about ready to singe off the rest of my eyebrows. Well, what, whatever eyebrows I have remaining. Uh, this is how excited I am to tell you about getting on that plane and visiting my old flames. But first, you see the little phone icon down at the bottom of your screen there? You can hit that thing and we can talk and then you can tell me about you visiting your old flames. But first, every woman gets a certain number of great romances, right? And then when they're over, all you can do is remember. Or, if you're insane, like I am, you go and revisit the old buggers. So this is what I did. I got on a plane, and I showed up at my ex's front doors. We got sound effects. (gasps) Have you ever done it? Well, listen to what happened to me. It begins when I visit John, my ex-husband. He lives deep, deep, deep in the woods, in the mountainsides, uh, in the mountains outside of New York City. And he opens the door. Well, he staggered backwards, staggered. And I think he said, well. And, of course, he's making spaghetti. And he's got a knife the size of a machete in his hand. And almost immediately, we're right back in the middle of it, because pretty much right off, he says, you said that horrible thing to me. And then I say, well, what horrible thing? And he said, that horrible thing you said to me. And I say, well, what horrible thing are you talking about? And he says, you just said horrible things to me. Well, which one? I said, tons of horrible things. I said, I'll never forget it. He says, by the way, I'm reading from transcripts because, listen, honey, I recorded all these conversations. I have it word for word. Not only do I have the photos of my old flames, I got the transcripts. Well, what did I say? I said, he says, I'll never forget. Now, by this time, we're in the kitchen and he's chopping up onions with that machete. Well, what did I say? I said, he shakes his head. I can't say it, he says. Well, I say, you spit on me. I did not, he says. Does this give you a little taste of what it's going to, <laughs> what it's like going back to visit your old friend? Just a little taste. You see, you see, here's what I thought. 
if I'm going to make a complete ass of myself, travel backward in time and retrace the steps of my so-called love life and visit John and Tom and Bobby and Mike, the four men I love better than anyone else in the world, well, I better have my shit together. Oh, yeah. I sweated big time for John Johnson, the New York TV news anchorman. I can't say precisely when I fell for John. It was uh, happening so gradually, but I believe I can date it from the night I first heard about the gigantic salary he made. You did, he said, sitting down on the couch. You spat on me. I didn't, he says. I sneezed on you. You spit, I say. I didn't, he says. You did, I say. I didn't, he says. You did. Well, he says, I can't cook now. Like all my husbands, he's totally unbearable. You're going to ruin, he says, my Florentine. Please don't. Okay, are you with me so far? You see what happens when you try to play with the past? You kill it. But if you're lucky, <laughs> you really kill it. No. Uh, okay. Some people want to kill their past. Some people want to get past their past. Some people can't get past their past. I'm one of those people that when it's in the past, it's in the past, and I completely forget about it. So to be perfectly honest, I should have married Tom Van Arsdale. I can find something attractive about any man, as you know. But God knows, Tom Van Arsdale, you can't imagine. I was simply out of my mind for Tom Van Arsdale, the hoop dream of Indiana University. Tom and Dick Van Arsdale, it was the Van Arsdale twins. They were so glamorous and so famous and so beloved. Tom himself was so tall. They were both 6'6 six, six or 6'5. Six, I'll have to look it up in a minute. Uh, he was so tender, so sweet tempered, so flaxen-haired, so slanty-eyed, so soft, so twangy voice. I, you know, I could do their voices. That's, they talk like this. This is an Indiana twang. This is how Tom and Dick talk. I can't really get it, so I'm not going to do it. And I was such a cheerleader, and we were such enormous hicks together uh, Tom picks me up at the Phoenix airport. He says, remember that time? And just let me say right off, he had not changed one bit, not one eyelash, not one eyelash. So we're walking. He's got my bags. He says, remember that time we were outside the math building and I was talking about going into the insurance business, Jeannie, and you said, oh, Tom, if we could just make if you, excuse me, if you could just make $30,000 a year, wouldn't it be wonderful? Do you remember that? Of course I remembered it. I remember what I was wearing when I said it. Can you remember those days when we thought $30,000 would have been it? That would have been it. It would have been, anyway, I remember the feel. I remember the hillbilly air. Now, uh, uh, truthfully, I feel closer to Tom than to any of the other four, uh, three. There's four of them. Tom is the one I felt closest to. His NBA com uh, career, uh, and I should click over right now and look it up, but <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to guess. <laughs> his, MB his NBA career uh, bloomed in extraordinary profusion at first it was Detroit. He was the second round uh, draft choice. Cincinnati, Kansas City, Philly, Atlanta, and Phoenix Suns. He played, ended up at the Phoenix at Phoenix Suns. He and Dick both ended up at Phoenix, playing with King Charles Charles Barkley. And hang on, really, I should look up to see if he played in New York. Well, he was a roommate of um, of uh, uh, Bill, uh, Bill Bradley. <laughs> 
Remember Bill Bradley, senator from New Jersey, who ran for president? Anyway, he and Tom, Bill Bradley was a liberal. Tom, needless to say, is very conservative. Anyway, so I arrive, and Tom has, I arrive in Phoenix, and Tom has a wife. She's beautiful. She's clever. She's rich. Her grandfather invented the cardboard milk carton. They have three brilliant children. They have grandchildren. They have uh, moved away from the fashion and bustle of basketball to the Van Arsdale Real Estate Company of Phoenix, one of the biggest ones. And now, uh, of course, they cleaned up. And then Tom and Dick took up painting, fine painting. And now they're like, uh, their art sells for enormous prices. And they have talent. So Tom Van Arsdale is now richer than a king and more beloved than a god, with the exception of Charles Barkley. Nobody is more adored in this godforsaken desert <laughs> of Phoenix than Tom and Dick Van Arsdale. Uh, so Tom is the man. Okay. So I'm standing in their living room of this movie star house and I'm looking at him in ecstasy. <laughs> and Kathy, his wife says, Oh, Jeannie, Tom always liked you. Now she puts me in the guest room with a bathroom, which comes elegantly equipped with my own personal loofah. Too bad Bill O'Reilly wasn't staying at the same place at the same time. The two rooms, the bedroom and the bathroom she put me in. <clears throat> I am not exaggerating by too much when I say they comprise a larger space than my entire cabin and in my entire yard that I live in now. So Tom looks at Kathy and says, tell her, dear. Oh, says Kathy, he had wonderful things to say about you, Jeannie. You know, Jeannie, says Tom, pausing and smiling at me with his slanty blue eyes. You're a lot like my aunt. Well, geez, you're fucking aunt. Uh, but, oh. You know, okay, I didn't say that. I didn't say fucking aunt because be when we drove in from the airport, Tom, you know, we drove up to this huge, uh, he, they live in Paradise Valley, and uh, we drove up to his house, and there's jutting fountain in his yard, and he pulled up in front of the jutting fountain. He said, now, Jeannie, don't be saying, Kathy, how the fuck are you? Okay, so I didn't say fuck. Okay. No, says Tom. My aunt never married, <laughs> never had children, he looks at me. Ah, I say, no, says Tom. Aunt Helen, <laughs> he shakes his head. We're putting her in a home on Tuesday. <laughs> okay, speaking of cursing, back to John's house. He's chopping up the tomatoes, right? Okay, here's what he's got on. Big shirt, baggy denim, Timberlands. Back in the day. When this man got dressed, he always blasted the music from Superman. And when he was all dressed, he would leave his room and come out, present himself to me and say, no normal human can wear this, but can I? <sighs> oh, we just can't stand living together. I said, chopping, watching him chop up uh, whatever he was chopping, probably onions. Give me a break, will you? I was nuts at the time, said John. Nuts. Exactly, I say. All right, so were you, he says. What do you think? You think you were something great? Hey, aren't you glad I have a transcript of this? I mean, who can, re who can remember? The anyway, uh, I just don't think I could be married, I said. Well, I just, he says, I just wanted somebody to sit down and talk with and you'd go lock yourself in the room. Then, of course, <clears throat> he'd knock the door down, shattering it like a box of toothpicks, and take me all kicking and scratching and biting into his arms. Indeed, when did I ever have a moment's peace? Speaking of kicking and screaming, let's talk about Bobby Simmons. Bobby Simmons. 
That's my dog outside. That's Guff. He doesn't care. Uh, Bobby Simmons once climbed up my trellis, ascended the sun porch, tore off the screen, and swaggered into my bedroom through the window. Bobby was a funny-looking, skinny, wheezing, asthmatic kid in khaki shorts with a big snorty nose and a rubber band gun in his hip pocket. Here, Here's what Bobby said when I descended upon him in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He said to me, Jeannie, you were as close to being a guy and yet being a girl as a guy could get. We grew up across the street from one another. Shady, Illsley Place in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where suddenly, one May, reeking of 612 mosquito repellent, we fell rapidly and deeply in love. You were right there. Right there, says Bobby. Bobby looks better now. Better than he did. I mean, handsomer, more robust, thicker. He's got a nice head of white, flossy hair. We're having breakfast at Hall's Drive-In, our old joint. And so I said to him, Bobby, every night when you get into bed, what'd you do? And Bobby says, well, I had your picture. If I had your picture, I don't remember if I had your picture, but if I had your picture, I probably kissed your picture goodnight. So I look at him and I smile and I say, now, Bobby, were you whacking off at this age or not? (laughs) Poor Bobby. He almost had apoplexy. You were. You were almost 14, I say. And you know what? I remember him leaning his blue Raleigh bicycle against our big maple tree or whatever it was and singing to my dog, Heidi. To make me to make Heidi bark so I would come out. That is how hideous his craving was for me. No, says Bobby. He he's holding them a napkin up to his face. The you know, he's trying to tell me, no, he did not whack off. Uh uh when in fact the poor fellow is lucky to have gotten out of the house. His wife was not pleased he was coming to see me. And here's what she told him. (sighs) Hang on to this. Do you want everybody in the world to know you haven't gone anywhere? I hate her. Haven't gone anywhere. You old kangaroo. Didn't, you know, didn't Bobby wear a real piss helmet and sleep in a genuine jungle hammock in the ravine behind my house? And wasn't he the most dashing figure I ever beheld one dusky twilight when in front of Judy Eslick's house, he gave me his fake silver ID bracelet. (sighs) You are one of those, right? Okay, back to John and me in the kitchen. You were a maniac, I say. Well, what does that mean, he says? Oh, I say, you were impossible. Well, what does that mean? He says, oh, you'd walk in the house, I say, and you'd be in a mood every single blessed day you come in the house and you'd be in a mood. So you're on TV. Okay, you're on TV. Big deal. Does that mean you get to be in a mood every day? Oh, I knew this was coming, said John. He's working up his green peppers. I knew this was going to fucking be it. Well, we had to discuss discuss it sometime. I say, I'm sitting on the garbage can, I think, opposite the refrigerator. And John, uh, you know, by the way, John's house is very, very clean. It's almost beaming. In fact, uh, several for several minutes after I arrived, uh, John loped behind me as I went through his new house. And he kept repeating, uh, repeating under his breath, uh, laughing and nervously, I'm very frightened. I'm very frightened. I'm very frightened. <laughs> okay, says John. I got to be careful here. Uh, you know, he's looking at my tape recorder. I got to be nice to you or you'll fuck me. Actually, <laughs> I never ask for any alimony. I don't even count John as a husband. P.S. I'm... uh. 
uh, he gave me permission to run that t- tape recorder. Anyway, okay, here's the star of the four boyfriends, Mike Troy. I loved Mike Troy straight through all my husbands, all my marriages, to be precise, from the time I stuffed 14 or 15 nylons in my swimsuit and was crowned Miss Indiana University to the time I stepped off that plane in Phoenix. Yes, yeah, Phoenix, over again. Same time, same flight, same one week after I visited Tom Ben Arzo. I'm out there visiting Mike Troy. I loved Mike Troy. Tom was the big crush. But I love Mike Troy and would have gone on loving Mike Troy, played alive by his memory till I croaked, no doubt. But Mike Troy made one small mistake by actually showing up at the airport to pick me up. He had informed me. Let me have just a sip of wine here because this is going to be difficult. This is not, hmm, let me have another sip of this. Hmm. All right. This is difficult because we don't talk about these things today. In 2022, we do not mention people's size. We do not talk about how they, excuse me, I'm going to have another sip. <laughs> okay. We don't talk about people's size today for good reason. We don't talk about how they look. We don't talk, you know, we say they look nice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, He had told me he had gained a few pounds, but then, you know, you couldn't uh, bounce quarters off the backs of my thighs either. So uh, I'm saying to myself, so what if Troy's a little chubby? Uh, You know, what's it matter what he looks like? His soul will always be dark and slender to me. Now, Mike Troy was the fastest flyer in the world, the great Olympic gold medal champion, the cover, the cover of Sports Illustrated, the glorious Vietnam hero, the noble SEAL team leader, and the man who formed absolutely and finally every ideal I have ever had ever or will ever want in a man. And then, uh, this is why I needed the three sips of wine. Then I uh, spied him. I spied him waddling toward me a huge, big, tall, well, you knew he was going to be tall because he's an Olympic, uh, you know, gold medal gray-haired man fat as a porpoise with a face the color of rhubarb and glasses thick as wine decanter. I almost collapsed. I almost, I almost lost my balance. My heart missed one, two, three, four beats. And then boom, 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 right back in love. That's what, that's what real love is. Uh, Would life have been any different with Mike Troy? You see, in college, I love Mike Troy. Mike Troy loved Mary Jo Ignatz. Mary Jo Ignatz loved somebody else's Spanish count. End of story. Okay, Mike had planned to be dead by the age of 30. I just assumed I was going to die, says Troy. My father died. His mother and father died. His brother and two sisters died. Okay, all before the age of 35. So Troy became a famous seal. And went to Vietnam. So we're eating some taco salad outside <clears throat> under an umbrella, thank God. And it's midnight, so I can't see him very clearly. And he says, he's talking about his Vietnam days. And he says, the adventure, honest to God, it was every 14-year-old boy's dream come true. We had all the best toys, the best guns. We got to play on submarines. We got to parachute out of airplanes. We got to jump out of helicopters into the water. We had high-speed boats. We had all, all 
the experimental weapons. I mean, it was fun. Of course, when they started shooting at us, it wasn't as much fun. No, no, he says, that definitely cut into the joy part. <clears throat> I'm sitting there listening to this. Here's the thing. I tried to, here's how lovesick I was. I tried to get to Vietnam myself. I tried to join the Navy or the USO, and neither one of them would take me. I don't know why. So uh, uh, Mike Choi panted on past 30, 35, lived a wild, fast life. Oh, shit. Awful. Just awful, he says. This is a quote. Terrible, raucous, rowdy, awful. And despite his eminent demise, he now coaches one of the best swim teams in the country. You see all those new houses, he says, as we whiz by him in his old BMW. They all got kids. And all those kids got to learn how to swim. Troy always wanted children. Nothing is impossible. Do you know why I asked you out the first time, says Troy? Why, I say. Remember, now I happen to know why, how it happened. And I'm sitting there waiting for his rendition. He says, remember that big window overlooking the pool? He's talking about it at the Indiana Union. Uh, this is the pool where the great Indiana swim team, the NC2A champions, worked out. We had five, six, seven, eight, nine Olympic stars on that team at the time. Worked out. Well, he says, because the coach was Doc Consulate, as everyone agrees, the best coach of all time when it comes to swimming. Anyway, well, he says, we all looked up one day, and there you were at the window. And I said, shit, there's that cheerleader up there. I was a cheerleader. <laughs> we saw you in the window several days in a row. And somebody said, she's checking out one of the swimmers. Who's she looking at? So one day, Carrie Tremune came late for practice and he said, I saw that cheerleader up there. And shit, Troy, she's talking about you. And that's the only reason I asked you out. I glanced at him. <laughs> His flowered shirt is on inside out. Oh, this detail goes to my heart. I wouldn't have had the nerve to ask you out, he says. I would not have had the nerve. I am not shitting you. <sighs> Y'all got to imagine his deep, uh, he had a lovely comical voice. I can't do it. I was looking at you, I say. <laughs> what? He says, you don't remember this shit? This is the first time you've heard this story? I'm hanging on every goddamn word, I say. Shit, says Troy. I can't remember who I sat to next in any class in my life. I can't remember any of my instructor's name. I can't remember my first date with Mary Jo, but I remember our first date. Oh, my God. I frantically try to recall Gary Tremune, Gary Tremune, so... Gary Tremune pulls a joke on Troy because I was looking at here, here, here's the thing. If I was looking at anybody, I was looking at Larry Shuloff, Olympic star, uh, and not at Troy. I would never have looked at Troy. I'd be looking at Larry Shuloff. And because Gary Tremune is pulling a practical joke on Troy, my whole Amorous life is turned upside down forever. But you know, Jeannie, says Mike, you were never, you were always one of the guys. <laughs> Thanks, I say. Always one of the guys, says Troy. Yes, thank you very much, I say. That's a very high compliment, says Troy. So now we're cooking. John and I, the onions, the peppers, the tomatoes, the two cans of tomato sauce, the half bottle of Tabasco. <laughs> I can't look at the mutilation of the onions without recalling. <clears throat> this may be a trigger for certain people, so you may want to turn off the broadcast right now. This podcast may trigger a few uh, people. 
if you can hear me, I am looking at the mutilation of the onions and I'm recalling um, the time I shaved John's entire body from the neck down. Uh, we were in the Caribbean. I was on my so-called honeymoon with him after I steamed him, moisturized him, lathered him, and shaved him. I bashed him over the head with my suitcase. Why? So he would not lose his fear of me. You know what, says John to me? There are all sorts of pressures being with a person like you. He puts the spaghetti into the boiling water. You want a man's man, he says. That's right, I say. You want a man to be a man, he says. Yes, I say. Then you feed his ego to make him feel like he could go out and be a questing knight, says John. Right, I say. Never to fail, he says. Never, I say. He picks up the machete and he says, and if a man buys into that shit with Eugene, he's doomed. Needless to say, our marriage was of short duration. But what if I'd married Bobby? Bobby of the speeding bike. King Bob, the fabulous mower of lawns. You'd have left me, says Bobby. We're in Kroger's by the old Southside High School buying Twinkies. <laughs> when I went back to visit my old flames, I only ate foods of the period. And in fact, with John, it was nothing but spaghetti. Spaghetti for breakfast, spaghetti for dinner, spaghetti scraps for the dog, spaghetti when we went out, spaghetti when we came home. And when John had a belly full of spaghetti, he'd start on the popcorn. Horrible Redenbacher's gourmet microwave popcorn. He'd eat it in bed. He'd eat it at the table on the sofa. He had so many bags of microwave popcorn in the cupboards. We'd have had a fire. If we had had a fire, the house, swear to God, would have exploded. Or what if I had run off with Tom Van Arsdale? Right, says Tom, glancing at Kathy. Jeannie, Jeannie and I would run off to Montana. Yes, I say. And then we'd jet off to New York or L.A. and have fun, says Tom. Exactly, 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 exactly. I'm bouncing up and down like an old hen. Europe, says Tom. Fabulous, I say. He glances at his wife. She's smiling away. The rich, the rich, God bless him, are too elegant to be touchy. She's in charge of not one. But two debutante balls in Phoenix. And that's the dog. Let me let me go let the dog in. Hey, Guff, Guff, I'm right at the end of my story here. Hang on. Here he comes. He's got to come in. He's got to be barking. You're ruining the climax of the story, Guff, for God's sakes. Bark, bark, bark. Hope you're happy. Just get into the park. Yeah. So what if I had married Mike Troy? Guff, you don't even care about who I married Mike Troy. What if I had married Mike Troy? Here's what Troy said. I would have been miserable. <laughs> he says, I just think I would have been miserable. Okay, so John serves the spaghetti. This is good, I say, digging in. You like it? It's perfect, I say. Oh, you're disappointed, says John. It's perfect. I never had such divine spaghetti, I say. There's too much Tabasco, says John. No, I'm telling you, it's perfect. It's perfect, I say. It's not perfect, says John, with a gloomy, gloomy frown. And by the way, when Troy, or as he was taken to call himself when I was in Phoenix, the pimple on Van Arsdale's butt, when Troy four-wheels me into the desert with a bunch of his buddies, uh, he lies on his belly in the sand <clears throat> and shoots 80 or 90 rounds into a big rock with an M16 while I maintain an upright position and shoot the mortal crap out of a hillside with a 44 Magnum. At least I say we can die together. 
Okay, so speaking of death, and this is the thing about old flames. It's always about the, hang on, I gotta have some tea. Can you picture this? Here's, here's what's beside me. I have, uh, I have water. I have, um, I have herbal tea. I have green tea. I have coffee and I have that Pinot Grigio. So now I'm drinking tea. So here we are at the end of the story. Well, you knew this was coming and you've been expecting it. It's always about death. It's always about death. Which of these guys is dead? That's what you want to know. All right. So, well, says John, we've stopped arguing. And then he whispers something and says, you know, it's true. And I say, say it again. I lean forward so I can hear him. He says, I love you, Gene. His face looks like it's on fire. And I'll always love you. Always. Nah, I say. Me and you, Gene, he says. I just love you to pieces. You look like the person I should love. You should be with me. Don't you know that? You could go through your life. You know, you go through your life and you see the person. And that's the person you'll always love. Then he glances at me and he becomes frightened and he says, well, for you, it's that 300-pound Olympic swimmer. Yeah, I say, he's awful fat. John picks up plates. Well, says John, that's what they get for leaving you. Well, you know, we had a we had a guest lined up for today. I don't know if she's here. She's not here because, of course, uh, the room ended and she had the link, and we're not going to have we're not going to um, we're not going to uh, uh, we can't call on her. And she had a fabulous problem. So if you don't, who here has got a problem? Because I have a stack here with somebody. Well, you want a single? Signal me if you want to have a question. I have a box here of Ask Eugene questions. I'm going to go pull them out. Our guest is not here because, as you know, we started the podcast a half an hour late because my mic was not working. But never fear. I've got a stack of this week's questions. This week's Ask Eugene questions. I expect you to to weigh in and help me answer these. Okay. Oh, here's one from a groom. Do you feel like answering a groom question? I don't. Okay, here's one. Uh, what's this? Um, I've never had much luck with the ladies. We don't want that one. Hang on. Uh, hmm. All right, let's find a good one here. Oh, boy. Well, hey, uh, have we got any comp lovers here? Because if we got some comp lovers here, I'm going to have you help me answer these questions. Okay, here we go. Um. My partner, 16 years, revealed he had been cheating the majority of our relationship but argued that it was completely unrelated to his true love in return. Having been cheated on, I feel I would rather know but recognize that my urgency is also a reflection of my guilt. And that, okay, let's not do that one. Hang on. Let's, okay, groom. Let's not do the groom. Grooms are hysterical. I love grooms. I love any man who's, you know, made his, and it's going to be, this is great. All right. Oh, that's too heavy. Okay. Dear Jean, I've been married to my second wife for 28 years. No, we know that. Okay, you're brilliant. Okay, we like this. Okay. I met my amazing, oh. I met my amazing husband 10 years ago. He has had. Oh, no. <laughs> I got to go get some more questions. I have a box full. I just grabbed the wrong handful uh, because we need something that is short and quick. Um, quick asky jeans. We've got the comp lab here and uh, they can help me answer all these questions. I'll answer these on the, on, on my sub stack. I don't want to answer them on. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay. So, one of my best friends recently started dating a new girl. I met her for the first time the other night when we went to dinner on a sort of double date. In conversation with my friend, I learned that she's an aspiring fashion designer. Apparently, she's designing a unique type of shirt that was suggested to be the next big thing in fashion. I'm somewhat of a local celebrity and uh, make the odd television appearance. Well, she found out that I'm going to be on television next week, and she wants me to wear one of the shirts that she designed. In a bit of confusion, I seemingly agreed to it. Fast forward a couple days, and my friend shows me the shirt. Uh, It's by far the stupidest shirt I've ever seen. I'm completely uh, torn about what to do. I don't want to hurt her feelings, but I also don't want to embarrass myself. Okay, here's what you do torn wear the shirt put a cute jacket over you know wear the shirt and put a blazer over there end of end of problem uh don't hurt her feelings you never particularly a young designer just uh starting out so uh that's all that or put it you know so some of these questions are very long and complex okay here's uh one from uh, i'm not going to say his name how do i follow my dreams of what i want to do in the world All I want to do is lounge all day poolside with a beautiful girl by my side, enjoying the much-deserved, much-needed sun rays as much as peace. Oh, boy. You know what? If that's your dream, well, just do it. That's, that's, you know. uh, My boyfriend won't get his life together. So my boyfriend is amazing. I love him to death. It's just that he is lazy. With uh, uh, working, he's only had this job for a month, and he already asked to leave several times. It seems to be a pattern. He can't imagine the heartbreak of ending the relationship, but I don't want to do. Okay, wait. So my boyfriend is amazing. I love him to death. It's just that he is lazy. He only had this job for a month and already is asked to leave several times. This seems to be a pattern. I can't imagine the heartbreak of ending this relationship, but I don't know what to do. I could really use your advice. Okay, listen. If you're writing to me asking about your, uh, your, the, the person you love to death, you just love him to death, and you don't know what to do, this is a person who, you know, right now has not figured out his career or his ambitions or his or his place in life or his so he may have reasons he may have reasons for wanting to go he may have um uh uh you know his ambitions may you know his ambitions may not uh, center on the business world he may be more autistic and by the way this whole thing that we're all living in the produce now produce now produce now I'm starting to question whether this is important. Maybe he has a uh, secret that the rest of us can learn. Uh, try to learn from him. Uh, if he can support your uh, household uh, by, I don't, you know, some other way than going to a nine to five, uh, why don't you work that out? I'm not so quick to judge people who don't want to go to the office. I'm starting to wonder if they don't have uh, their finger on um, an interesting viewpoint of life that the rest of us are missing. Okay, next question. Oh, hi, Eugene. Oh, oh, hmm. Oh, this is about I texted her. She texted me. Yeah, okay. Oh, make her, oh, we don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to get into the the texting thing. My ex friends dislike that I spent. Okay, boy, we got a lot of questions from guys here. Um, let's. This is a. I'm going to run this one in the column. This is about a woman. This is from a doctor who received. Give me a sip of wine here. This is from a doctor who uh, the FBI has been. Um, you know, I'm going to read this letter. I'm going to read this letter. And by the way, please, does anybody, uh, would anybody like to speak? Would anybody signal me that you can solve this problem? Because this is a, 
an extremely naughty problem. Good afternoon, Eugene. I need your help in getting my voice heard. I'm a physician in Arizona. Arizona again. Jesus. Louise. And then she attaches a script from the FBI. In a nutshell, I was scammed on an online dating scam. The criminal is a doctor in Toledo, Ohio. An FBI agent asked for a bribe for me to expedite the case. I did not feel comfortable bribing a federal agent and risk losing my medical license. Clearly, the FBI, FBI agent got bribed from the criminal, and I was called. Uh, oh, and I was called to the Phoenix FBI office and given death threats, and uh, they would be able to ruin my medical practice and try to shut me down. Wow. I have a lot of documents. Well, you know, let's. I'd like to see the documents. I'm sure you would like to see the documents. I'll try to get her to come on the show. Uh, I'll try to get doctor, uh, the doctor, to come on the show. That would be brilliant. Maybe I can get her lined up in the next in the next couple of weeks. That would be good. Let's take one more question. We we need to. She says she has emails, texts, voice messages. Oh, she's like me. She transcribes, you know, she tape records everything. Oh, okay. One last question. My boyfriend went to an escort's house. Oh, it's all in the headline. After our night out together. Yesterday, I found that, dear Eugene, yesterday I found out my boyfriend of seven months went to an escort's house after he just got home from a night out. And after we came home from a night out, we sat and ate chips together. And then I got into bed and then he said his wallet was missing and he must have left it at the chip shop. I offered to go with him, but he said, it's okay. He won't be long. He then gets in. Uh, he then gets in 30 minutes later and jumps into the shower. Wait a minute. He came home 30 minutes later? Okay. I thought that was weird, so I looked at his phone, which is it left in the bedroom. What do I see? See, here's the thing. You know the Ask Eugene rule. Never look at a guy's phone. Never look at a woman's phone. Those are private. Private. Uh, We live in a world that will drive drive ourselves crazy if we start looking at, you know, looking at people's pants pocket and pulling out their phone. Okay, so here's what happened. Oh... So she looks at his phone. What do I see? A message from an unknown number that has an address along with an X. My heart sank, but I thought, let's not get ahead of myself here. I look at his Google Maps. He has directions up. The location was the same address written in the text message. And I looked to see the address matched on the chip shop, but I didn't. It quickly, I quickly popped the phone away as he comes back in from the shower. Before we t- sleep, he tells me how much he loves me and how much I mean to him. I don't even have to go on. She goes on for another. Are you ready for this? Another page and a half. Um, Seeing a sex worker sometimes is not a bad thing. In this case, getting back into bed and saying you love, that is completely two-faced. He's a snake. He's a, he's a, he's a low life. He's an asshole. He's not a good guy. This is not a good guy. Uh, Mr. Chipshot. No, no. You should take Mr. Chipshot and give him a running kick out the door. And that's it uh, for Ask Eugene. I'm sorry we missed our guest. You know, maybe uh, maybe we'll get her on next week. Uh, and that's it. Diddle bangers. For our live Ask Eugene podcast with an actual mic. It will be on Apple and Spotify tomorrow, and I know you just hardly wait to see that. So now, before I play the greatest theme song since Mozart's Magic Flute, I want you to remember what George Carlin said. Conservatives are not pro-life. They are anti-woman. The Ask Eugene music is by Los Caterpillars. Greg Tallenfeld and Melanie Rock. Incidentals by Little Red Church. Show art 
by the Rembrandt of his generation, Silent James. Ask Eugene is produced by, are you kidding? The dog is played by Mr. Guffington Von Fluke. The cat is played by Vagina T Fireball. Email us at egene. Oh, no, let's, let me get that right. E dot gene, E dot gene, J-E-A-N, E dot J-E-A-N at askegene.com. Or send me a juicy voicemail, which I may play on the show. And that number is 845-682-0881. Let me repeat it, 845-682-0881. Follow us on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Give us a bunch of stars. I can see Candy's here. Candy has given us a bunch of stars. Uh, And that's it. Fate loves the fearless. And now let's go out there and fight those buggers who are trying to take away our rights. Call her on the phone Call her on the phone When you're all alone Just ask Eugene Call her on the phone Don't sit there all alone If you need to pick up bone Booby, ask Eugene Ask Oh shit!